Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Salt Church Podcast. Good morning. So, um, we're in the middle of a, actually, this I think is the end of a series that I'm doing today. Praise God. Some of you are like happy about that. All right, let's stand up. Let's ask the Lord to bless this time that we have together. You're standing up as a as an act of obedience unto the Lord. We stand up kind of like as a way of giving attention uh, to what we we believe God is doing. So, Father God, we stand before you in your sanctuary and your place. We're standing up on the outside, but more importantly, Lord, we're standing up on the inside giving you our attention, allowing you to speak life into us that we might be true ambassadors, true followers, true children of you. Have your way with us and let us again, again, Lord, we come to you petitioning you, asking, pleading with you to not allow this to be a time of uh, where we're just like not really engaged with what you're doing. Convict our hearts and our minds. Ready us for battle. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. So I, there's, the Lord always speaks to me on a regular basis, but here's the deal. I know there's that verse that says, um, thy word, what is that verse? Light, the path, what is it? Who knows it? She says, maybe I'm wrong. A lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. There you go. Whew. My dyslexia can't be helping me now. Okay. Um, he always shines right in front of me, so I, I, I feel very confident in the next step. But oftentimes I'm not very confident 10 steps down the road, because I, I don't know, you know. The Word says that we know in part and prophesy in part, and so we take what we know, and we, bol- and we boldly march where He directs us, but oftentimes He only lights right in front of us, and we're not sure exactly how it's going to look a mile down the road. I had a professor once tell me that it's so easy to see God in the rearview mirror, but it's difficult sometimes to see Him in the windshield. What that means is um, it is a walk of faith, we move forward because we know that God is, is directing us right now, but he doesn't usually tell us everything that's going to happen. How many of you know, realize that if he told us everything, that we would, like, have a little yellow spot underneath our feet, like, and be like, ah. Okay. So he was telling me to do this truth serum um, series because the current generation doesn't know the truth. And you know as well as I do that Jesus is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him, John 14. So we know that. And then, of course, in our world that we live in, there's all sorts of confusion. There's all sorts of um, just like like this woke thing, you know. I, for, for, for months, I didn't even know what woke meant. I'm like, woke? I don't get it. What do you mean woke? Yeah, I'm awake. Uh, 
I didn't understand it. And so when the Lord told me, do, do, our, my, this current generation doesn't know the truth, in my heart, I'm like, okay, we're going we're gonna to preach like some hard stuff here. And this is week five, I believe. This is the fifth one. And I think it might be this was the one. Because he didn't share with me in advance. But I think this was it. I think this is where we were heading. I believe that there's a culmination of truth today. And it's, uh, to me, it was like, what, why didn't you just tell me this like six weeks ago? We could have saved six weeks of like, no, but that was part of the journey. Amen? Here we are. And I'm, there's a passage of scripture from the book of Isaiah uh, that I want to get to. You could, st- you could turn there if you like, Isaiah. So let me break this down. So I, I found out that during this process that if I don't set the stage, don't set the table, the meal's going to not taste as good. So here we go. I want to talk about Isaiah, who was a prophet, was an awesome man of God. You know, there's certain characters in the Bible that I think of, and I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah, I could be his friend. He'd be pretty cool. And then there's other ones that I'm like, yeah, I, I'd like to see him from a distance, like John the Baptist, right? I mean, nobody wants to, like, you know, he's got a grasshopper hanging out of his mouth. You know, like, dude, it's like, you know, take a shower, you know, shave, do something. Um, but there's other ones, like John. I, don't know, I just kind of associate with John, like, you know, the one whom Jesus loved, you know. John was, you know, Jesus' second favorite, you know, after me, of course. Uh, Isaiah was one of those where it was like, uh, I don't know if I would have hung out with Isaiah. Like, he's just one of those guys that was like, I'm a prophet of God. Then he walked around naked for three years. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to be my friend. Uh, But he was a man of God. And just kind of like as an introduction, do you know like the the Bible, like Isaiah is considered um, like a miniature Bible in and of itself. There's 66 books in the Bible. There's 66 chapters in Isaiah. Uh, The first 39 books of the Bible were were considered Old Testament books, uh, which was like the law. Uh, Galatians talks about the law as being a schoolmaster that literally teaches us that we need that we need Jesus, that we need a Savior. And the first thirty-nine books of Isaiah is like what we call the uh, the condemning prophecies, if you're looking at it. And then the the you know after the you know from book forty on is the New Testament, which is grace and truth in the life and, and of Christ Jesus. And 40 on in the book of Isaiah were like the comforting prophecies. These are prophecies about, you know, the Savior and prophecies about, you know, how good God is and things like that. And Isaiah, he, he describes um, like his mantle. He describes it in, the, in chapter 46. I'll just read it to you. You can turn there if you like. It's verses 9 and 10. Which this encapsulates to me prophecy. Like prophecy is extremely difficult to read. You, you really, you definitely need the Holy Spirit in order to read the books of prophecy. Because the books of prophecy were also oftentimes like twofold couched in a third way. Is that, that's a weird way of describing it. But it's like, it was, it was like what God is saying to the people today, what God is foretelling about uh, to the people in the future, 
and it's couched in a poetic way. So it's kind of, you really need the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to, to really get everything that we could really glean from the prophecies of the Bible. But yet at the same time, prophecies were the one thing that the Bible would speak out, like God would speak through prophets, and it was uh, part of the element of that was something that was going to happen in the future. Nobody else could do this with any accuracy. No one could predict a future other than God. And Isaiah talks about that in uh, chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. It says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Man, that's God's way of saying, listen, I'm God, you're not, nobody else is God. If you think you're God, you try to predict the future because I hold the future. I hold the future from ancient days. I will do my pleasure. My plan will come to fruition. Nobody else's plan will come true, only mine. Only God is God. Isn't that awesome? You know, if you like to read like commentaries, anybody else like to read commentaries? You know, just four or five nutheads and then the rest of us. Um, If you read uh, commentaries, uh, Isaiah was so accurate because he was hearing from God. That at one point in time in history, they they came up with a a second Isaiah. Did you know that? Like they came up with uh, a man that they called Deutero-Isaiah. Because they thought it had to be somebody that was born late, late enough in history, that it would actually, he would actually write some of the stuff that already took place. Isaiah was so accurate that they thought that there's people, there are skeptics that are out there that think that there were two Isaiahs. The original Isaiah of the Bible, and then a Deutero-Isaiah that actually lived beyond some of the prophecies and went back and wrote about them as if they were going to happen. And then they realized that some of those prophecies were actually about things that were going to happen after the second Isaiah was already dead. So they came up with a third Isaiah, Triton Isaiah. Triton Isaiah was about the prophecies of Jesus. Guess what? There's only one Isaiah. And he heard from God, and he declared it, and it was written, and it came to pass. Only God is God. Jesus talked about it. In John chapter 12, he's like, my, my prophet Isaiah spoke these things, and yet their hearts were too hard. And, they, and he even hardened them even more, saying that they didn't have eyes to see. Jesus said that. Guess what? There's only one God. And when he speaks, it's true. I love it. I went to a, a um, maximizing your manhood conference this weekend. That's like a Christian Viagra weekend. I was, like, am I allowed to say that? Yeah. They, they told me, we're going to maximize your manhood. And I'm like, who's going to go to this thing? Like, anybody signing up is like, I wish I was a man. Can I come? You know, like, 
but in this uh, in this weekend, they um, they decided that I was going to speak on overcoming addictions. It's like, what what is this? Is this typecasting? What? What do you mean? I don't have any addictions. But anyway, nobody laughed at that. You all were supposed to be like, yeah, what he said. You're like, I don't know. I haven't I haven't seen your closet. Like, <laughs> uh, anyway. So. Uh, Friday night, I spoke twice yesterday, but Friday night I went and they, they had some awesome worship and a great speaker. And during worship, I'm, I'm like, just, Lord, what, what am I supposed to talk about? What, what do you got? And we had a freedom weekend several months ago, four or five months ago, and, and uh, Tally had uh, spoke about um, some of the addictions that uh, the Lord delivered her from and and she declared, I don't know if you recall that, but she had like a, a declaration, all scripture that she declared over the church. It was powerful. It was awesome. And during worship, the, uh, the Lord said, declare that, declare that over the, over the people. So I texted Tally. I gave her at least 15 minutes. Um, no, I texted her, you know, that night and said, hey, send that to me. And she did the next morning. And so during the first session, there was a breakout session, and I was leading these guys in overcoming addictions. And I, I told them, hey, I've got this thing I want to declare over you. It was, uh, it's all scripture, uh, but it was put together by someone that the Lord delivered from addiction. I talked about Nate, and I talked about Tally, and I said, I, I want to pray this over you right now. And then my phone dings, ding. I look down, Nate and Tally send me a message. We're praying for you right now. How cool is that? God's good. God knew that that was going to happen. That was like a modern day prophecy right there. This is awesome. So turn to Isaiah chapter, chapters two through five or six, somewhere in there. It was all one big prophecy. And what I want to get to is in chapter 5, but I want to start with chapter 3 because I think it speaks to what we're going to talk about. Let me give it a little bit of a background. Um, Isaiah was ministering in the south. If you recall at this time, uh, Israel was broken up into two different kingdoms. The northern ten tribes, uh, they called themselves, anybody know? Israel. The southern two tribes, they broke off and they called themselves Judah. Isaiah primarily ministered out of the south, out of Judah, but he was ministering to, at this time, he was ministering to Israel, the northern ten tribes, because there was a nation that was coming against them. The nation was uh, Assyria. Assyria was knocking at the front door and they're coming in. And Assyria, the, the Assyrians were brutal. They were brutal. They would win uh, through warfare, both in actuality, but also mentally. They would psychologically just beat up their enemy. They would overcome, overcome a nation. They would come in and they would, they would uh, overtake the nation. And they would literally put hooks in their mouths and drag them to their capital city through hooks. They would... Uh, they were known for skinning people alive. They're the ones that skinned people alive. Just too brutal, 
some of you are looking at me like, ex nay on the communique. Um, they, they would maybe, oh, no, I'm still good. So God's still in this. All right. So uh, they would overcome the, these um, nations, and they would, uh, you know, there would be a, a lot of blood. They would hook them, bring them back to their capital city. They would put, they were the ones that would skin people alive, but they were also the ones that would actually put stakes around the city, cut the heads off, light the heads on the stakes, and that's how they would light up their parties at night. Brutal. Brutal group of people. Why is everybody looking up above me? If there's a bat in front behind me, I will run out of the sanctuary right now. What's that? Oh, the bulb went out. Oh, and the projector. Whew. So that's how brutal they were. They were so brutal that the people were operating in fear. They were like, they did not want to deal with these Assyrians. And yet the Assyrians were going to conquer them. And Isaiah knew it. And he began prophesying over the nation of Israel. But also over the world to come. It was like, it was very forthtelling, but also very prophetic at the same time. He was explaining to them through the, through the mouth of God that what was going to happen to them at that moment, at that particular season, but also he was foretelling the world that this is going to happen to you and me as well. If we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. He's prophesying over them that there's going to be a famine and a drought. There are 13 times in the Old Testament when God would prophesy famine and drought over a particular region. And every single time, it was not just a response from God to punish. It was actually a way in which God would wake up a region. It was a way in which God would say, you're not following me. Please follow me. It was, he was stirring them up. He was trying to get them to call out on the name of the Lord so that they would turn their hearts back to God. Thirteen times it happened. Here's one of them. Verse 2, it says, The mighty man and the mighty man of war, the judge and the prophet, and the diviner and the elder, the captain of fifty and the honorable man, the counselor and the skillful artisan and the expert enchanter. He's saying there's going to be a drought of honorable men. I think that was prophecy for the end times. Throughout this prophecy, it'll say the latter day or the latter times, meaning now. And basically what he's saying is there's going to be, the uh, Bible scholars call it a, um, an honorable dearth. There's a vacancy of people of honor. There is a vacancy of statesmen. There is a vacancy of people that just do the right thing because it's the right thing. There is a time period in which people literally will, it, there's just like a void, there's like a gap. Nobody in charge, nobody leading is a statesman. Nobody leading has the words from above. Nobody leading is actually leading because they have a care and a love for the people. They're literally just leading 
for their own selfish. Am I preaching to you today? It says, and I will give children to be their princes and babes shall rule over them. The people will be oppressed. Everyone by another. This is going to get better, by the way. <laughs> this is like, we're, it's like, well, I wasn't depressed until I went to church. God's still on the throne. Amen. The people will be oppressed and everyone by another and everyone by his neighbor. The child will be insolent toward the elder and the base toward the honorable. It's, he's prophesying that we're not going to literally like upheld honor anymore. We're not going to like hold elders in respect. Like children are going to be in charge. He prophesied this. You know, it used to be and all throughout the Bible is like when you got gray hair, that was a place of honor. Now it's like everybody on the planet is doing everything they can to hide their age. No amens on that. <laughs> it's like, Little nip, little tuck, as they say. Little die. Yeah, there's little, there's like, there's filters, right, for for like photographs. Do you realize, like, a hundred years from now, they're going to be like, when Grandma was eighty, she was hot. Like that's the response that they're going to have. No, she was eighty. Verse six says. When a man takes hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, you have clothing, you be our ruler. You know what, that, you know what that's saying in a very poetic way? We'll make you our ruler because you've got money. That's what that means. You know, we had two people that were talking about running for the governor of Pennsylvania from Corey at one time. At, during this last, the last election. And they, I found myself at, at uh, the Henderson's home one night, and they were both there. And we prayed over them. I thought, wow, how, is God doing something here? Like, I literally was like, what's happening? Two people running for the governor. And then I went home, and, I, and maybe this is a lack of faith. Maybe it's just realism. I don't know. I went home, and I Googled, how much money did it take for the last governor to be elected? It was like $40 million dollars. I'm like, yeah, they ain't going to get elected. <laughs> That's what I thought. I didn't say that out loud because I didn't want people to be like, well, there's a man that has no faith. So, well, now it's after the fact. I'm right. <laughs> they didn't get elected. <laughs> I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> Look at verse 9. The look on their countenance witnesses against them, and, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. We're living in a time and an age in which evil and sin is actually promoted and honored above righteousness and godly statesmen and stateswomen. The reason that I bring this out is not because I, I'm trying to like make sure everybody gets depressed before they leave church today. It's actually to, to proclaim to you that there isn't anything under the sun that hasn't been predicted by God. There isn't anything that's happening that God himself didn't know was going to happen. And God is God and nobody else is. 
All right, let's turn to uh, chapter 5. I have no idea what time it is. What? We're good? Turn to chapter 5. Verse 20. This is it right here. And the reason why I wanted to, this is the truth. You know, when, I, when the Lord told me speak to truth, I thought he was telling me to speak to truth because the world needs to hear it. I think after I was meditating this week, it was like speak to truth because the church doesn't know it. The church doesn't know. See, we think that, you know, we'll say awesome things, like we'll say true things like God is on the throne and think he's going to turn it around. But just know that there is a latter day. There is a time that was prophesied over. I, I just want to, I just feel the urge to say this, like, during the latter days, when all this stuff is coming true, our response as a church is not to go into the woes, W-O-E, like the first 39 books of um, the prophet Isaiah, the book of Isaiah were, the, were called the woe prophecies, W-O-E prophecies, like woe, woe is me, woe is this planet, woe is this nation. No, we win. We win. I know that I'm totally different than every other sports fanatic that's out there when it comes to this particular thing. And I've said it before, but it's so vital. I used to, I used to really get into the Cleveland Cavaliers. When LeBron James went there and they started winning, I know, I've already lost half of you. It's like, like you, you're an idiot. Like Everybody that's a sports fanatic, we literally judge everybody else's intelligence by who, they, who, they, who they're fans of. You know, like, oh, you're a Cleveland Browns fan? Oh, all losers over here. You know, like, that's the way it goes. I don't know. Sorry, Scott. (laughs) I look up and I see Scott staring at me like, okay. We're going to the dog pound as soon as this is over. I used to, I, I got so into it at one time that I would, like, I'm the only guy I know that would literally break out into a sweat when I watched basketball. Not when I played, but when I watched. And I'd be like, okay, I gotta go take a shower. It's halftime, you know, like, I was like, my adrenaline was pumping, my heart rate was going, and I'm like, just like, and I got to the point when we, we got this DVR thing going, and, and we would, I, I would, for a while there, I'd get into watching a game, but at, like, I had it down to an act, a science. I could start the game at this time, and I'll end the game the last two minutes live. That's what I used to do. I would be able to skip all the commercials and not have to, you know, you know expose my soul to that garbage. And uh, so I would start it at a certain time. I'd skip, 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 skip. And then I got wise because sometimes I wanted to be careful of my time. And I, I also predicted how many foul shots there would be. And I would start a little bit later and skip through the foul shots and just look at the score. So I would know if they actually made the shot or not. So I, I was kind of, I was in it. I was a little addicted. And then they had me come speak at this conference. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, like, 
That's why. Now it comes out. So uh, I got to the point where I would like get so pumped up and so excited. And then when they lost at the very because basketball was always determined by the last two minutes of the game, it seemed like. And when they lost at the very end, I would get like, oh, I wasted my time. So I'm the only guy that I know that would actually look at the score. Then I got to the point where I would look, I would wait until it was done. I'd look at the score. If my team won, I would watch it. If my team lost, stupid game. Now, nobody else would do that. Most guys would be like, that's dumb. Why would you do that? I'm telling you, it was such an enjoyable experience watching my team win every time. (laughs) I loved it. And in the middle of the game, when the referee was blind and didn't see the foul and some guy got away with like punching somebody in the throat, you're like, you know, if it was live, I'd be like, ah, you gotta be kidding me. And I would like have a coronary. And then, but after like, I got in the habit of just knowing, I would just be, I just relax, be like, just wait, you're gonna lose. My team might be down by 25 points in the second quarter at the beginning of halftime. And I just relax. My team wins. It's okay. Guess what? Our team wins. Our team wins. I've read the end of the book. I already know. We're going to spend eternity in paradise. We're going to spend billions of years reaping what was sown the first 70. Like, whatever we do now, we're going to walk in paradise for all of eternity, experiencing the love, the grace, the awesomeness of being with Christ Jesus. And so even now, when you're faced with a crisis, you're faced with a situation, you're faced with your adrenaline being pumped and you're sweating and you're having a coronary, relax. He's on the throne. It's okay. You win. You win not based on the outcome of that crisis. You win based on the outcome that was already predetermined by God himself. You win. So when we get into this woe passage of Isaiah chapter 5, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's happening right now. But relax, we win. Well, who who put darkness for light and light for darkness? That's happening right now. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine, woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. God himself says, woe to that. You know, in Psalm 37, uh, the psalmist uh, is kind of like lamenting to God because during this, uh, during, I don't even remember who wrote it. I don't even remember what the circumstances were. Just go with me. He's writing to God and he's upset and he's frustrated because he says to God, I see evil men succeed. It's not fair. You ever, you ever been in that kind of a state? 
when our kids were little, we lived in Marietta, Ohio, which is like the southern border of Ohio, between Ohio and West Virginia. So um, our kids had a southern draw. Ruthie had a southern draw. And uh, there was a, we have it on tape, I believe. And there was a time when Randy, you know, he was like into justice. And he would always say, that's not fair, like that. And so this guy was writing to God saying, this is not fair. It's not fair. I'm seeing evil people succeed, and it's just not fair. And God says in that, in Psalm 37, it says, he looks at the wicked and he laughs. For they do not see what is coming. They don't see it. We, we're, we're on the winning team because we've got Jesus. He's our, I always think of that interview that, took place, uh, one of the bench players for the Chicago Bulls was playing with Michael Jordan, and Michael Jordan scored 71 points in one night. And they're interviewing Michael Jordan after the, I'm sorry, they, they, they tried to interview him and they couldn't, so they, they get the bench guy. So someone, you know, someone from ESPN got fired after this night. But anyway, you know, they tried to get Michael Jordan. He scored 71 points. How awesome is that? They, they didn't get him. They missed him. So they get the bench guy. So what was it like to play on the team where the Michael Jordan, your stud, your, your forward scored 71 points? And he's like, well, you know, anytime Jordan and I can combine for 73 points, you know it's a good night. That's a great answer. I love it. That's our answer. You know, anytime Jesus and I can combine to minister the gospel of peace, it's a good night. Anytime Jesus and I can pray over the sick and they recover, that's a good night. Anytime Jesus and I can set people free, it's a good night. Anytime Jesus and I can minister to the lost and they're found, that's a good night. Anytime Jesus and I can prophesy life over people, that's a good night. Anytime Jesus and I can love others, it's a good night. That's a good night. These Assyrians are brutal. Hooking people, skinning people, cutting people's heads off, dragging people to their capital city of Nineveh. You ever wonder why Jonah was hesitant to go to the capital city of the Assyrians to preach the gospel? He's like, I don't want them to be saved. I don't want them to turn around. They're evil. They're brutal. Maybe they skinned his relatives. Maybe they cut the head off of his uncle. Who knows? But God said, go, minister my message. And that's the truth of the message for today. It's for us. The world's out there skinning people alive, cutting people's heads off, lighting torches with the heads of our relatives. And God says, love, go to them and love. Chris likes to watch these Christian news shows at night. I literally, like, I go off on tirades She's watching these zoos and I'm staying up. Those idiots! What? What just happened? 
It's like God is saying, listen, Al. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to them, but yet go love them. Love. They don't know. They don't understand. They think dark is light and light is dark. They think evil is good and, e and good is evil. They don't know. They're lost. They're blind. Jesus talked about it in John chapter 12. Anyway, that's the truth of the day. Please stand and we will pray to the Lord. I got to get out of here on time because it's uh, Eric's birthday we're celebrating today. And Dick Winchell, wherever he's at, 81. 81 years old. We honor gray heads, Dick. <laughs> Patty points at her head as she's walking out, you know. I've got more wisdom. Father God, we thank you that uh, your word is true. We thank you that you're God. You're so great. We couldn't serve. <laughs> we couldn't, I don't know. I don't even know how to say that, Lord. You're so awesome. How could we not serve you? You're so vast. How could we not worship you? You're so incredible that you'll speak the truth even when the world doesn't want to hear it. But you say it because you love. Even droughts and famines were designed to stir people in to following you. May we, even without a drought or a, or a famine in our own personal lives, serve you now. Your word says that Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. May we choose to do so now. Thank you, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us on this week's episode of the Salt Church Podcast. We're grateful you spent this time with us, and we hope the message today has moved you. Please be sure to join us again next week for another episode of the Salt Church Podcast. God bless, and we'll see you next time.